Hi, I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Hey guys, welcome back. We are here with Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Yeah, thank you all for joining us for another episode. We've got a fun episode for us personally lined up today. We're being joined by our senior elephant keeper, Amanda Weissel. Amanda, thanks for joining the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, I think it's funny because Amanda actually, well, was one of the first friends I met here at the Cincinnati Zoo when I was an intern. And um, because you became full-time, I got my first animal keeper job. So Amanda was the seasonal in Elephant House. And when she got hired full-time, I had been volunteering at the Elephant House, and they gave me a shot at being a seasonal there. So I got to work with elephants thanks to Amanda getting hired full-time way back in, like, 2011 or something. Um, So it's been a while, but I've known Amanda a long time, and she is working in the elephant department. But you've worked in a few different places, including Africa. So Mark and I have worked alongside Amanda in the Africa department um, we're not actually talking about the zoo stuff today, though. I'm kind of excited we're going to have a different type of episode. Yes. Um, something that's important to Amanda and a lot of us, and um, there's a lot that I can learn. I really don't know a lot about this topic today. Um, so I'm excited to kind of do something different. Um, but tell us a little bit about what it's like to be an elephant keeper and maybe a little bit of what you did before you became an elephant keeper, and then we'll get into the other stuff. Okay. Um, like you said, I was an intern Way back when. Uh, In 2008, I was an intern, and then I became a seasonal keeper in Elephant for two years. And then, yes, I got hired full-time in the old nocturnal house. Uh, Worked there for seven or eight months. And then um, nocturnal merged with Cat House, and we became night hunters. I was in night hunters for seven years. And then I had the pleasure of moving to Africa. So I was in Africa for three and a half years. And then moved back to the elephant house. Was it that long? We it's miss you in Africa for whatever I, I miss you guys, I will admit. I miss you guys. But the elephants are really cool. It's kind of it's kind of neat to come full circle again. You know what yeah. I mean? I started the career way back there, and now I'm back in it. Um, and things have changed in the elephant world since then, so it's a new and exciting thing to kind of see the progress. And we're getting a new elephant facility in a few years, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah, once that's more like on the way and things are being built i can't wait to have an episode talking more about like all the new elephant tricks yeah there's a whole lot of stuff that are going on and there there's meetings now and all kinds of stuff and it's it's neat to see it starting to unfold yeah and i bet you if you get to be a part of those meetings it's cool to like throw it throw out ideas and i'm not part of those meetings (laughs) but i get to see all the results of them so yeah it's still neat to see them Uh, It's cool, though. I I appreciate how diverse your background is. Like, you worked with nocturnal animals, you worked with big cats, small cats, Mm -hmm. carnivores, herbivores, hoofstock, elephants, everything in between. Yeah, I will say I've kind of made my rounds, and it's been fun. It's not the the same thing all the time. Not that I disliked one area or didn't, you know what I mean? But, like, yeah, having that that fun background of having the ability to say, I've worked with that, and it's, it's been neat. Elephant's sure. always been your favorite, though, right? Yeah, deep down. Mm-hmm. I never thought, I, I always wanted to be a big cat person until I got into elephants, and then I was like, never mind, changed my mind. <laughs> she wears two elephant rings and has for years. I have. <laughs> <laughs> but you're actually really passionate about something else. The topic we're actually going to talk about, maybe even more passionate about zookeeping. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. All right, so we're going to talk about regenerative farming. Is that correct? Sustainable farming, they're different. They are different. A little bit of both, though, we're going to talk about. And just in general, maybe where our food comes from and how we can do better by the earth 
by the way we farm. So like I said, I don't know a ton about this topic. So I don't know where you would like to start. If you want to kind of define what regenerative, I can't even say it. Regenerative <laughs> agriculture. Oh, okay. Um, so there is sustainable farming and there's regenerative agriculture. Um, regenerative agriculture is a part of sustainable farming. Sustainable basically just means that the the practice of farming that you're doing is making sure that for years to come we can still farm. We can still grow food, vegetable, meat, anything of that sort. Regenerative agriculture is a little bit different in that it actually reverses the problems that are done in commercial farming today. So um, where like carbon emissions are a big deal um, with tilling and stuff like that, regenerative agriculture actually fixes it. It doesn't just stop it. It actually reverses the entire process. It's uh, a way of like healing the land. Basically, correct? yes. Yeah. And, and it's, it's very much um, a lot of people that do this sort of practice call it almost, they call themselves soil farmers. Like, okay. yes, we grow vegetables and yes, we grow meat. But a lot of it is putting the health back into the soil. So not only does it fix it for generations to come, but it actually fixes the environment around you. Because, c correct me if I'm wrong, current commercial agriculture practices are pretty much degrading the soil, right? You're stripping the nutrients. A hundred percent. Everything with from tilling hardcore to spraying pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, all those things are causing all sorts of issues. You're losing all the nutrients that are in soil. There's all kinds of water runoff. There's all kinds of carbon emissions that go with that because there are no plants to absorb what they should. Mm. Um, so yeah, definitely. Like it, it does degrade that to a high standard. Um, and you see fewer yield over time, right? Over over time, yes. And it does take a very long time, but we're actually getting to the point in commercial farming that, like, they've done studies and they say there could be less than 60 years of harvest if they keep going in that same thing. Wow. Which is hard to think because that's it could be in our lifetime. Yeah. Is If that were to happen, would we be at the point where we're just at a loss or would those commercial farmers be able to then change how they do things and will they be forced into it or will we completely be out of luck um if it ever gets down to it like when you say that there won't be any soil left a lot of people define dirt and soil as the same thing and they're not so there will be dirt but where there used to be pasture will just be dirt and you won't have the ability to grow anything essentially the dirt becomes sterile it's just dirt there's nothing in it there's no ability to grow and at that point it could probably be too late um, so it, it's a good thing that a lot of people are getting into regenerative ag at this point because it, it is a turning point and it still can be fixed at this point. Okay. Um, yeah, there could be a point where you get further on down. You get 50 years from now, maybe they can't turn it around. But I think and I hope that there's enough of us like-minded people that can get behind this kind of thing and it can fix it and we can make it better overall. Definitely. What's, what's kind of your background with it? Like where are you from? What got you interested in? regenerative agriculture specifically like um so funny story i did not grow up on a farm i have no idea what i'm doing 90 percent <laughs> i fly by the seat of my pants and I, it's no joke uh, my mom grew up on a farm and i remember just even when i was real young my grandparents had cows at that point but it wasn't a running farm anymore um and i don't know i i honest to god like i I wanted to be a zookeeper and I became a zookeeper and it sounds absolutely ridiculous but I found a book at Half Price Books one year and I read it and it was this completely romanticized story about a woman who lived in the city fell in love with a farmer because she was a writer and she did this story on this guy that lived off the land and lived off the grid and wanted to fix everything around him and take it back to its natural cycle and I went oh I think I want to do that um 
And so I just started reading stuff. Everything I could get my... I've read the most boring soil books on the planet. You must really be passionate about it because I can't imagine reading about soil. I have a long drive in, so I do audio books a lot. And I will say some of the books are downright boring. Um, But I did. I read everything I could get my hands on. Um, And obviously I work at the zoo. I am conservation like at heart. You know what I mean? It's something that I'm into, whether it be animal or the land. And the more I just started learning about it, I said, okay... I, I do want to have a farm, I, and this is the way I, that I want to do it. So um, I, I just kind of went from there, bought a farm five or six years ago, and I didn't have animals or anything on it to start, but made plans and then just kept going. That's what's really impressive to me is that you have this big idea, which would be super overwhelming and scary and so many things, but you made it and you're doing step by step. Like, obviously, you don't all of a sudden have a million animals or a million crops or <laughs> whatever. Um, but tell us how you started. Like what, what did you have when you moved there and what do you have now? Okay. So when I moved, I had a dog and that was, <laughs> <laughs> um, I still have that dog. Every farm needs a dog. Yeah. Right. That's what your farm is named after. I, yes. It's called Good Shepherd Farm. I do have a German shepherd named Rio and he's the best. Um, so I still have Rio. I've acquired some cats. Um, I currently have 38 chickens that lay eggs. Well, two are roosters. Um, 38 egg layers, and uh, two years ago I started doing pasture-raised meat chickens. Um, I did two different batches. I did 75 per batch, Um, and then this year I did a smaller batch as well. COVID kind of got in the way of things in between there, and um, not only finding butchers, but even finding chickens to raise was not easy. So um, I did make a plan when I bought the farm. I had told myself that if this is really a thing that I'm going to do, I have to have a plan. And I am not an organized human. I know both of you know that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I made the plan up in my head, and I'm not going to lie, it's still just in my head. It's not written on a piece of paper anywhere, but so far I've stuck to it. I had told myself egg layers in three years, meat chickens in four years, pigs in five years. I failed on the pigs this year. Um, The plan was to have pigs by 21. But... Fence is being built now, so hogs are coming in 22. Um, hey, and 2020 then, never even happened, right. so right. you're really on track for <laughs> yeah. 2022. Technically, I'll yeah. give myself the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, and yes, you're right. Um, and then uh, future is beef cattle for me. Um, and then I also I, I built a garden. that The very first year, I did build a garden. Um, my mom's farm that she had grown up on, the family had done a garden down there. There were like 15 of us that kind of got in on it. Um, and my grandmother was still alive at the time, so it was kind of nice. Like, we visited with her and then got to do the garden, and it was huge. Um, so the first year I did a garden at home, the garden was far too large. But um, I really got into preserving food, so canning and freezing, and I still do that. I've kind of scaled it down a bit because now I realize I can't handle all that by myself with just my mother and I. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of been the, the plan and the progression of it, and here we are. I love it. I think this is actually one thing that we were kind of able to bond over when I started the zoo and exactly. you were here. Um, my family owns a poultry farm in Erlanger to his poultry. So I was kind of familiar with raising chickens, raising turkeys, that kind of stuff. I think most people, when they picture chicken farmers, they're picturing stuff they've seen in documentaries on TV, like on Food Inc. and stuff, where you see these chickens, they're in these one-by-one boxes, and they lay as many eggs as they can lay. Will you just tell the listeners, like, what your kind of farm and property looks like? What their chicken, what your chickens' lives look like on a day-to-day basis? Uh, my chickens live outdoors 24 hours a day. Well, except for night. Um, due to predators and living out near woods, there are predator problems here and there. Um, so for the egg layers, I don't 
quote unquote, if you want to define pasture raised, fine. It's not pasture raised. They are free range. Um, my chickens are literally outside with free range to go anywhere they want to go all day long. Um, you don't really have to train chickens to come home at night. They kind of do it like their body sinks up when the sun starts going down. They go into the coop, they have a little ramp, and I lock up the ramp at night so that nothing can get in. And then literally first thing every morning at 5.30, I go out there, feed them, open it up. Um, for the meat chickens specifically, they have what we call a chicken tractor. It's not a tractor, it's literally a mobile coop. So mine is 16 by 8, um, and it's got electric net that goes around it also for predator control. Um, and they live in there, and I keep them in there from day one. They are on grass, so they can, they can eat grass, they can eat bugs. That's what they're meant to eat. They do get supplemental feed because they need it. Um, they can't get ever chickens can't get everything they need from just grass and bugs at this point anymore. Maybe back when they were wild animals <laughs> and that was a thing. But domesticated chickens need that. So um, that chicken tractor gets moved every single day. So every day when I come home from work, the chicken tractor gets moved to a new patch of grass so that they're not, you know, they're not walking around in their own fecal matter or anything. They have all fresh grass. They have in a whole new area to roam around and they, they live in there until the end. And that's super different from what commercial farming looks like, correct? Correct. Commercial farms tend to <laughs> shove thousands of birds into an indoor barn. And the barns are very large, um, and they are technically cage-free, but there are usually eight to 10,000 birds in each thing, and they don't typically have access outside, ever. It's really fun if you ever go over to Amanda's house, you pull up the driveway and there's just chickens <laughs> walking across the driveway. You gotta watch where you're driving. Yeah, they, they kind of do their own thing. <laughs> Which kind of brings up a point that a lot of people might be asking in their heads is you've mentioned meat chickens, which means you are raising these chickens and then they are butchered and they are sold for meat, mm -hmm. which most of us, a lot of people eat meat, um, but it's hard to think where it came from. And as animal lovers and as zookeepers, that can be a tricky subject or sometimes things that I don't necessarily think you're being judged on or anything, but people are questioning like how, like I've, I'm like, I love what you're doing. And I think it's amazing that the lives these animals are living compared to the chicken you might buy in the store, but it would be hard in my brain to personally be like, okay, now I just raised you. Now I'm going to take you to butcher. How did you get over that? Or how do you, you know, kind of explain and, and tell people about it and why it's so much better or why it can, be better for the animals. I mean, it, how I got through that. Um, honestly, I don't know. It is one of those things you, you have to jump in with two feet and see how you process it. Um, it's not for everybody. I'm not saying it takes one personality versus another, but, um, you know, I am a zookeeper. I love animals. I want to give them the best life they can have if they're with me. That's why they have predator control. That's why I spend the extra money and the extra time to make sure that nothing happens to them. Um, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't difficult to understand that the animal that you had from one day old is going to be butchered. Um, and especially this year, I butchered them myself with the help of a lot of other people. Um, but yeah, it is, a, it is a process when you when you are looking at an animal on the last day and you go, well, I mean, part of it is that's farming. And it's important to me and hopefully important to some people also is like, I do want to know where my food comes from. And I like to respect the life of the animal because they're sacrificing it for us, right? So mm -hmm. my way to pay them back is to make sure that they get the best life that they can every minute of every day that they're on that farm. 
I make sure that they're happy. You know what I mean? I literally have enrichment for my chickens, which, <laughs> which I'm sure most farmers don't do, but because I am a zookeeper and that's part of my everyday life. Um, yeah, I mean, it's important, I think, for people to know where their food comes from. And everybody has different preferences, right? So it's all about what you, what you see fit and what you see to be important to you. Um, for me personally, I like to know where my food comes from. I like to know what kind of welfare that animal has in its life. Um, so that's why I do what I do. I think it's really neat because I am not a vegetarian and I love to eat meat, but I also like to be blind and not think <laughs> about it when I pick it out in the store, you know? And right. it's hard to know kind of where your meat is coming from if you're getting it from a grocery store. And I don't know really how you find the right people. I know you, of course, but it's all, you know, the commercial, they can put out so much meat and it's more affordable and those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So how many farmers are there out there doing what you're doing? Are there many? Are there very many options for people like me who want to eat meat, but also want to do better by the animals? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have a number for you. And there are, like I said, there are many different things that encompass regenerative agriculture. So it's not, it's not just meat farmers and it's not just vegetable farmers. Uh, and there's different ways of going about it as well. Um, there is a website called Eat Wild, yes, eatwild.com. Um, and they have a whole, that's where I first started okay. when it came down to information. Um, I read the book called The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. And if you haven't written or read it, I suggest you do. Um, it's just kind of basically going through like where does our food come from and how does it come to be when it is in the grocery store. Um, and he, he brought up eatwild.com in that book. And there is a very long list of like regenerative agriculture farmers that are recognized by this website. And it goes state by state and it goes meat farmers and hog farmers, sheep farmers, vegetable farmers, no-till gardening, all that stuff, silvopasture. I'm going to throw terms at you that I <laughs> don't even. Uh, like all kinds of things. Um, so that's where I started is eatwild.com and they have a whole slew of information and that's that's kind of how I found my first the first time I ever bought meat from a um, regenerative agriculture farmer um, he's actually 20 minutes from me in Friendship Indiana he was on that website they they raise chickens and they raise uh, sheep is what they raise um, so that's that's kind of where I got my start and then truthfully after that it just became social media now that it's a new thing um, and people are on board and they want to learn. I mean, you can find all kinds of people on social media. And and that's kind of where I got most of my information. That's such a good point. Yeah. Social media can do harm, but so much good, too. It can do yes. some like, good. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to look for the good, but you can you find do. the good there. Yeah, definitely. Will you explain a little bit more about the no-till? <laughs> sure. Or just the soil and, like, I don't think we've really covered what the harm it can do from this commercial farming and and what the regenerative agriculture how it can help okay uh so regenerative agriculture i defined earlier mm -hmm. um so the i'll take the two parts that i do because this is what i know more about um there is no-till gardening and there the other thing i do is rotational what they call rotational grazing or holistic management um for no-till gardening you know most generally, your backyard farmer will take a, a rototiller of some sort, till up ground, and plant things in it. Um, and there is nothing wrong with that. I was that farmer the first three, literally, the first three years I lived on this farm. I did the exact same thing. That's what I grew up knowing. That's what my mother grew up knowing. Um, 
the issues that I learned as years went on is every time that you till up soil, you are basically destroying every tiny little ecosystem that's in that soil. So all the that fungus that exist, all the worms that are in there. Um, earthworms are crazy good for soil, and I'm still slightly grossed out by earthworms. And I don't know <laughs> I'm 35 years old, and I'm still like, Whoo. Um but they're so good for soil um, because they aerate it when they tunnel through and their fecal matter, if that's what you want to, it produces what's called humus. Um, and that's the nutrient dense part of soil. Um, so when you no-till, uh, basically the best way I can explain this is when you have a flower bed and you plant stuff in it, you put mulch on it. The mulch protects it from weeds growing everywhere. It keeps water in the, in the soil for the plants to grow better, Right. No-till is essentially the same thing. You're putting plants in the ground. So like two years ago, I did till it one last time. Done. Um, and then what I do is I take grass clippings from my house and the neighbor's house, and I mulched everything. I also took straw and put it all down. And what that does is very slowly over time it breaks down, and it's adding that nutrient. It's basically, You're basically composting okay, on top. Okay, I was top. just going to say. Yeah. Like a giant in, in open the, compost bin. Yeah. Basically. In the wintertime, I take my food scraps, and I have a wood-burning stove, so I take ashes from the wood stove, and I dump them in the garden, and I spread everything out evenly. So, yes, basically it is a big open compost pit, um, and just over time it keeps breaking down and adding that nutrient-dense stuff to the soil. Um, and then when you come spring and you want to plant you just separate the mulch or whatever is still on that top layer to get to that soil um, and you plant in it and then I will continually keep mulching every year and um, you like I put cardboard down this year to help with weeds and it's incredible how how great cardboard can be for us <laughs> really? a garden yeah I have never not not had to spend so much time weeding a garden and it's better life. for the environment is it better than mulch uh yeah when you buy mulch it let's say uh, you're Home Depot or your Lowe's, it's it's kind of processed. There are some chemicals and stuff they add to it. Um, so yeah, grass clippings and dead leaves are literally the best mulch that you can use. Um, I use straw because it was readily available in lots of quantity because I, I only have so much yard to mow. I only have so much grass every once in a while. But basically, you're mulching your garden and just planting through it, but all that stuff is breaking down and adding things into the soil that you need because I had realized even after three years of gardening, the conventional way with a tiller and everything else, I had lost three inches of soil. And wow. I had I had tilled up that spot that first year I moved in, and in three years' time it was that much deeper. And I went, okay, something needs to be done, and I'm doing this incorrectly, and I need to change it. So now, now we don't till. And when you're able to regenerate that layer topsoil for your plants, then you don't have to disturb the micro-ecosystems that you Correct. talked about underneath that layer of topsoil. You can leave the earthworms alone. You exactly. can leave the fungi growing alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, so all those things are still... You're not breaking up those ecosystems. You're not breaking up everything that's already going on because there there is good fungus. There is good bacteria in soil. And that all to be nutrient-dense needs to be in there. And that all needs to work together. And so, yeah, when you don't till it, it keeps all that together. It also helps with water retention and... You know what I mean? There's a lot of water runoff. My garden slightly sits on a hill. Not that I could physically see water running off, but the whole thing with the environment in general is like water can't be retained a whole lot. So that, that helps with that too. Mm -hmm. Water runoff and CO2, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's where the rotational grazing comes in. Um, so the idea behind rotational grazing is to follow the natural cycle of what what is or what used to be. So if you take the idea that the U.S. used to be covered with bison, right? Bison were always living in big herds and they constantly are on the move and they would bunch together and eat a whole bunch of grass and then keep moving. 
Um, and then behind the bison would come turkeys. And the turkeys would scratch around in the, in the feces and they would pick the bugs out of the feces, like the maggots that have been in there that flies have laid. Um, and they'd come through and, and you've, you're a poultry guy, you've seen chickens <laughs> and turkeys scratch. They fling that manure all over the place yep. and in turn they're fertilizing the soil wow, behind never them. never thought of that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that the bison do is they smash plants down. Um, like while in your brain you think, oh, that's bad, they're killing it, they're actually embedding seeds into the soil, which is making it keep growing stronger and faster. Um, when they do, so that's what rotational grazing is trying to mimic. Um, so what a lot of farmers do, and even with the chickens in that chicken tractor, you're concentrating their eating in one spot. And then you're moving them to the next, because in the wild, that's what they would do. They would be concentrated in one area, eat down everything that they could, and then keep moving on. And that provides, like I said, stomping seeds into the ground. It adds nutrients back into the soil, like natural fertilizer. Um, and it's it's just that natural cycle of what is, and, and it tends to work. So a lot of people will will raise their their cows and run chickens three days behind them to mimic that whole thing. Um, and so, yeah, and the stronger that the pasture can become, it pulls carbon out of the air. You know what I mean? It, all those carbon emissions that are so bad, it actually draws more out than just your conventional grass that sits. Yeah. Which I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people are so worried about cows producing too much CO2 and, mm-hmm. and how, you know, farming can cause, you know greenhouse gases and all these issues so can you talk a little bit about that and i mean you just did a little bit but they can actually help if you're doing it correctly it sounds like correct so of now i gotta remember my numbers out of all the co2 emissions in the world agriculture does take up 11 percent of those um out of that 11 percent commercially raised beef takes up 40 percent of what the agriculture causes conventional commercial beef is a lot of cows are put into feedlots. They're put in these concentrated dirt lots um, after they're about seven or eight months old and they're pulled off pasture and they're weaned from mom and they're fed grain. Um, so those carbon emissions that everybody's talking about do come from commercial farms, primarily from those feedlots. Not only is it because of that, but because they're being fed grain in these feedlots, which is feed corn essentially, and some soybean here and there. Um, you have to think of all the tractors and all the combines and all the all the things that run fuel that have to be there to plant it, to seed it, to spray it, to harvest it, and then transport it. Transport it. Yeah. And then on top of it, all of those cows that are in these feedlots and are taken to slaughter, they have to be driven everywhere. And then they're driven to the grocery store and then they're driven to your house. So uh, that is kind of the nice part about regenerative agriculture is like, yeah, if we do it in this fashion, yeah, you might have to be willing to drive to your farmer's farm to go get it or to the processor to go pick up a half a beef or a whole beef or whatever it is. But all of that stuff is eliminated, right? Like you're rotationally grazing them. They're only eating grass. They're ruminants. That's really all they were ever meant to eat anyway. Um, and so it works out that it, it actually fixes everything. And it it not only, like I said earlier, not only stops the deplete or the... Um, my words are failing me now. <laughs> it not only stops the bad things from happening, but it reverses it. So cows being on pasture in that rotational manner actually helps draw more of the CO2 emissions out of the air. Um, 
because they're helping reseed it like you said the yeah, step on it and we're reseeding the the soil and more plants are growing which and all the natural fertilizer and everything yeah and they've done studies where they pull root systems out of these pastures so so like my pasture right now i've only had chickens on it's not a huge impact at this point um but if you took my pasture versus somebody who rotationally grazes beef i I mean the root systems are literally feet long like five and six feet long Mm. and again with water runoff and everything else that can be a problem it helps absorb all that i mean the possibilities are in (laughs) like the water retention and the co2 retention those roots are capturing co2 from the air and storing it underground yep yeah the way i always kind of thought of it like or at least the way i always understood it the biggest advantage to like rotational grazing and i guess regenerative agriculture in general is you're you're kind of favoring polycultures over monocultures like yes Commercial agriculture has always just been, we have this one giant feedlot of just cows. Mm -hmm. To feed those cows, we have this massive field of corn or wheat, whatever it is. And it's just one type of of product grown in one area. Whereas what you're doing and what most people who do regenerative agriculture do is you've got five or six different products all in your, I I don't say small because you do have a big piece of land, but in terms of agriculture, (laughs) small land. Correct. it's it's better for the environment. It's better for it's a more natural approach to farming because exactly. in the wild when you walk through a forest, do you see one species of tree or no. one species? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You see all kinds of stuff. So one whole acre of broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's using nat- nature's natural cycle of, of being basically. So do you think we went away from that because it just does yield more profit or? Um, is it easier? Uh, commercial farming is easier. Maybe not. It's a lot less time consuming. Okay. I'd be lying if I said regenerative ag is super easy. You know, you just don't turn cows out and go, meh, you're fine. Here's some water. I mean, it is ro- rotational. And like I said, for the chickens every day, I still have to go do that when I come home from work. It is more time consuming. It takes 45 minutes a day. Um, whereas, yeah, if I just locked them up in a little coop with a little run... Yeah, it would be easy. It would take me maybe five, ten minutes a day. Um, so, yeah, I think between the the development of, like, herbicides and pesticides and fungicides, when farmers realized that they could make their yield huge, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I'm not a corn or soybean farmer, and I don't know what yields are nowadays anyway, but they learned with machinery and all these new things that they could yield a whole bunch more in a lot less time. So why would you spend your time raising 10 rows of sweet corn at home to make, you know, $40 when you can have all this and do it like that. Like, I think that that was a big part of it, time and, and money and the yield for sure. So, sorry, go go ahead. ahead. No, you got it. Well, I was just wondering what would, other than caring for the earth and caring about where your food comes from, what could convince somebody to change that? Or is that the hardest part is sometimes what's doing... What the right thing is isn't always easiest or... Correct. I think people's personal beliefs come into it. I mean, truth be told, regenerative agriculture is time-consuming and it is money-consuming. None of this is cheap. None of this... um, And if you go to these farms and you want to buy their product, I'm not going to lie to you, it's not going to cost you a dollar a pound like it does when you go to your local grocery store. It's just not. Um... So I think it's what's important to you. You know what I mean? Like I said, I've been kind of the, 
conservationally mind person because I do work here and it is important to me. So that's why I farm the way that I farm and that's why I eat the way that I eat. I think you just have to have that understanding that it's it may not be super important to everybody else. You know what I mean? Or not that it's not important, but it's just not high on their priority right. list. And that's really okay. But you just have to take into effect that everybody has their own personal belief on, on their food. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Will. I think that kind of like the long-term thinking does come in, at least for me personally, like the long-term thinking does come into play though. Because like, kind of like you said, while commercial farming at the current moment, it is putting out greater yields. It is more cost effective. It's less labor. You know, like you said at the top of the show, like in 60 or 70 years, whatever it was, you know, that's not going to be sustainable anymore. So we do have to come up with alternatives while we still can, while we still are getting enough food to feed our population before it hits the fan and we don't have enough food anymore. But Is your family's farm considered a small farm or commercial farming? It's a, it's a family-owned, a small farm. Okay. Yeah. So how, what size or like what number, what makes something commercial farming and, or like how many turkeys and chickens or does your family farm? That's a good question as far as what makes it, what makes like considers it commercial. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's like a status with the government or if it's like a certain number that you hit. My family farm has a few thousand chickens, a few thousand turkeys. So that's a lot, Yeah, but it's still small, which is crazy in my mind but like would definitely be something that people could support and you know purchase from Mm -hmm. rather than the grocery store but I feel like sometimes I mentioned earlier how do you know where these places are yeah and like Amanda said though it does come into like come into play in terms of yes if you eat a a chicken or turkey from my family's farm it's going to taste better and it's going to be fresher I can guarantee Mm -hmm. you that it's also going to cost more than it would if you go to your local grocery store like you do kind of have to pick what's important to you, where your food is coming from, if it's coming from a good source, if it's responsibly raised, you know, like all of our chickens and turkeys, they're all outdoors, they all have plenty of room to roam. Um, But that's not to say that that's not important to everyone, which I personally wish it was important to everyone, but it's not. And there's also kind of like the socioeconomic kind of divide comes into play too, where that's not always affordable for everyone either, which I think, and I maybe I'm getting over my head here, but I think we need to make like more large scale changes to make it more affordable right. to people who can't afford that kind of food right now. Yeah, that's such a good point. I was going to mention uh, Amanda's eggs taste one thousand <laughs> times better, and they're yes. like brighter and oranger. The yolk is, mm-hmm. and it's so much better than store bought. And I'm I'm not making that up. I'm not lying. It is. They are so much better. Amanda's eggs that she affectionately calls her butt nuggets. (laughs) (laughs) I was afraid you would bring that up. (laughs) For the record, I did not give them that name. That would be Teresa. (laughs) Let's let's not think about that. They taste delicious. (laughs) Would you say, does your family practice regenerative? I can't say it, guys. Regenerative. regenerative. I really have to stop and think about it. Agriculture. I would. I would probably wouldn't consider it regenerative. I would consider it sustainable farming, okay. but not quite that next step up where it goes into regenerative. Yeah. Okay. And so, like I was saying or asking you before, like sustainable versus regenerative. I did it. Um, <laughs> Good job, Jenna. So, what would be the difference then with sustainable? Um, I would say sustainable, like he said, regenerative is kind of the next step up. Sustainable is still like, I'm trying to put it into words, making sure that we can still do it for years to come. Maybe not that rotational part, maybe not um, 
like putting them in chicken tractors and moving them every day. So for instance, I know his family farm, like his birds are outside. They have a really great life. They're just not rotated Rotate. on a weekly, okay. daily basis. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to cause the damage to the soil, right. but it may not be actually also repairing soil. It might be repairing yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Great. So yeah. yeah, maybe there's even that middle ground that we there could totally hopefully is. get to, mm -hmm. you know, people making changes and farmers in general going more. Just, yeah, like, mm -hmm. if you can't do the whole thing, even a little bit can help. Exactly. So, but yeah. that's amazing what both of your farms are doing, and I think it's really cool that people care enough to try that and make the animals' lives better. Because, like I said, I'm eating meat. I might as well <laughs> eat meat that is has a, the best life it can prior to the day it, yeah. it, it's butchered. Amanda, you've always especially impressed me because we know how tiring this job is as a zookeeper. You're hauling poop, you're doing wheelbarrows, you're doing enrichment, all kinds of stuff on a daily basis. You go home from a labor-intensive job and then do a lot more labor on your farm on a daily basis. I respect it. Thank you. I respect it. Yeah, and that drive. But yeah, that's what's really cool is you're so passionate about it. It's worth it to you. It is. And, um, you know, like you said, you're going to get hogs or pigs mm -hmm. in the future um 2020 doesn't count so you have until next year <laughs> have you back we'll question you whether or not you've done that <laughs> um but like what would be your goal how many would you want um i don't know that i have a number on certain animals um i my goal is to just make the farm as productive as it can be without um Sacrificing what you... Yeah, sacrificing the soil, sacrificing over... You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, still making the difference that I can and still, like you said, physically being able to do all the things. Mm -hmm. Caffeine and music, man. It's, it's a <laughs> lifesaver. Uh, I don't know Good what I would do without either of those. Um, but yeah, like, I, I do want to raise beef. Um, I like the idea of doing it by whole or half. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, eventually I would like to getting it into shipping. So I have family that lives out of town, right? And I would love to be able to provide my family in California with food that I have made yeah. or food that I've raised, I should say. So I guess the end goal is to eventually, there are lots of people out there that do it already. So I'm, I feel kind of behind the times in this, but like ethically raised meat can be shipped right to your door. Yeah. You have to pay shipping. Let's be real. It's on dry ice. It's being shipped overnight. So you have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that would be the end goal for me personally. It would be neat to be like, I literally feed my whole family from this little tiny 16 acre farm in Dillsboro. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be, that would be the goal. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Man. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that we should? I feel like I could go on so many things. Um, what does like what does just a typical day look like for you after you finish at work or on an off day or whatever? Like how much time are you really putting into your farm? Cuz I know it's a lot. It is a lot. Um it it 100% depends on the season. Winter is the off season. I wouldn't say that I'm doing nothing. It's a lot of bookwork. It's a lot of taxes. It's a lot of um planning for the next year or the next 2 years and kind of Again, I'm not organized, right? So this is not really on paper. Some of it is. Some of it's shoved away in a drawer somewhere, and I'll find it in five years. Um, so winter is the off time. That's no joke. I do a lot of indoor projects. is all I do. Uh, spring is a lot of the planting and planning out. Um, I start doing meat chickens in the spring because the grass is starting to grow and starting to get rich and time to use it, right? Um, so it, I, if I had to say, like, a typical day after the zoo work, I call it my chores, which is pretty much the basic needs of all the animals. So if I have meat chickens, it's moving them, it's feeding and watering them, 
Um, same thing with all the egg layers. Sometimes it's cleaning out coops. Sometimes it's just thinking about what has to be done in the summer too. There's the garden that takes a whole lot of time. Um, I said earlier, like I do canning and preserving and some nights I'm up till midnight and then I'm up at five to come here. You know what I mean? It's just summer is go a hundred percent of the time. Um, I would say on my off days, I work 12 or 14 hours, most of them. Um, and then I am usually in bed very late in the summer. Fall is usually dedicated to prepping. So like right now, when I'm cleaning out chicken coops, I'm literally manually spreading chicken manure all over the pasture to try and make sure that it's good to go for spring because now's the time to do that. Um, and then even last year and now this year, building fence. So the, the hog fence is going to start going in in about a month but I'm trying to get the pastures ready for them to be there and trying to get my plan for what's going to happen in spring. It's a constant future game, right? Like I have to keep thinking of what's going to happen because you can't, you can't wake up tomorrow and be like, I think I'm going to get pigs today. Like you have to have the, you have to have the plan and all the equipment and all the things for it. Um, so yeah, they're, I would say my basic chores, the basic animal needs are pretty much the majority of my time. Um, that in the garden. But yeah, seasonal. What's, what's your favorite and your least favorite chore? I can tell you my least favorite without even blinking. Um, I So I have an electric net around the chicken tractor for the meat chickens. It is 100 feet long, and it is a pain because it gets tangled in everything. And this thing, um, it runs off a solar-powered battery. And for one human to move it a whole 20 feet is, I'm, it's so time consuming. <laughs> it gets stuck on things. If the grass is too long, it shorts out. It's not hot enough. Then, uh, I mean, sometimes I have to go out there with the mower just to mow a ring around the stupid chicken tractor to get the thing to light up. And then something <laughs> and goes. And that's to keep predators out. That's just run. to keep predators out and make sure those chickens don't get hurt or get eaten. <laughs> <sighs> that is my least okay. favorite. Um I wouldn't say it's a chore. I, I, there's something to me, I guess because I'm an animal person, and I know that both of you are probably in the same boat. There's nothing more satisfying than seeing an animal just blatantly happy, right? So some days, it's not necessarily a chore, but I'll be feeding chickens in the morning. Like, let's say it's my day off. And Rio is out in the field, and he's mouse hunting, and the cats are sitting in my lap on the porch. Like, just knowing that my animals are safe and happy, that is like the romanticized vision of what everybody thinks a farm is anyway. And right. don't get me wrong, it does happen a lot. And there, I'm very thankful for the days that I get to sit back and watch it. You know what I mean? So those are my favorite. Even if it's just doing the repetitive, monotonous chores of feeding and watering and everything else, those are my favorite because that's when I can tell that they're all the happiest yeah. they'll probably ever be. It's got to be so rewarding too when you finally can take a step back and just look at everything, all the hard work that you've put in. Your chickens are browsing around they're happy rio's running around like crazy <laughs> <laughs> exactly your cats are the best <sighs> they're pretty ridiculous not that anyone cares or asks but my favorite chore i think would be collecting the eggs <laughs> so the okay. listen it is it is fun in the beginning <laughs> and then you you learn what a broody hen is oh. and it's not fun um, so broody hens are hens that think they're hatching out eggs and mine are not hatching out anything they're just sitting sometimes there's not very smart, and they're sitting on empty nests, like, good job, you're doing great. <laughs> but if you reach underneath them, they literally peck you and you bleed. Not like, they're happy. mean. <laughs> and I get it, they're good, they're being good yeah. fake mamas, right? Like, they think they're protecting their nest of no eggs, but right. hmm, sometimes it's a battle. <laughs> I guess chickens could be scary. The roosters could be scary. I call them little dinosaur birds. Like, you know, they don't have arms, they have wings, they... 
they can be mean. <laughs> they are kind of like mini dinosaurs. Maybe. A little bit. You mentioned the your meat chickens that you raise. They're only there through the summertime. But mm -hmm. your your egg layers, they're all cold hardy breeds, right? They're all Correct. there the whole winter. Yeah, all year they're long. there yeah. all year round, um, and they live with me until natural causes take them. Mm. Um, and then I just kind of I get new chicks every year because uh, little known fact, chickens don't lay eggs through the winter. Um, their their body's natural cycle kind of shuts off and gives them a break so that they aren't laying eggs and through all that I mean laying eggs is still kind of stressful on their body so from about now October they start molting and they don't lose the ability to lay eggs they just slow down a whole lot so mm -hmm. like my older hens are now four and a half years old um they only lay one egg every two weeks in the middle of winter um but yes they do live there all the time all year round they're cute. I love Jen. <laughs> Jen was the one that went rogue and you found her. <laughs> <laughs> Jen's a legendary chicken. She'll hop right up in your lap and just chill with you. <laughs> She'll steal pizza out of your hand, too. <laughs> it's hard oh, enough man. to find a dog sitter. It's really hard to find chicken sitters. Mark's really good at it. <laughs> I bet. Another time or two. You know? Oh my gosh. Okay, Mark. I'm just dying to know what these quiz questions oh, are right. today. Um... I've got some good trivia lined up today. I'm worried I won't know any of them. Got some good trivia. You see, I thought you guys were thinking I would go the farming route. I knew you so wouldn't. So I decided to hedge and go in opposite direction. <laughs> As Amanda mentioned earlier, she did used to work in the Africa department. So the three of us worked together for several years. We had a lot of good times. These questions are all going to be Africa department related. Oh, I'm nervous. No. <laughs> I'm like, it's fine. I don't need to know the answer. I'm not an expert on this subject. <laughs> All right, Whoops. start now. We've got one that kind of makes the transition from Amanda's farm to our Africa department. <laughs> we got five questions total. Okay. Question one, how many chicken eggs are there in an ostrich egg? Oh. So we have two ostriches in our department. They each lay eggs. Depending on the time of year, it kind of comes and goes. But during egg-laying season, they'll lay a couple a week, two or three a week usually. So I know the answer. Is that it? Yeah, she's giving me numbers with <laughs> her fingers. Cause Cause I know, cause there's I'm, no collusion here. <laughs> I'm like, well, because you read different things or you hear wild encounters, people say different yeah. numbers, and I'm like, I don't know which one's the actual one. I mean, everything I've ever read is two dozen. 24 right. chicken eggs would equal one ostrich egg. 24. You guys got That's it on the spot. Crazy. It's give or take about 24 is the usual kind of estimate. It does vary, though, because ostrich eggs can vary from three and a half to five and a half pounds. Mm -hmm. So it varies a little bit, but usually about two dozen. Yeah. I mean, seven years in, and it's still exciting to find an ostrich egg. <laughs> I know. It is so <laughs> big. You walk in in the morning, you got this glowing orb. But like, <laughs> <laughs> Alright, on to number two. I'm going to time you guys for this one. Because oh if, if I give you guys long enough to think about it, I know you're going to get it correct. I'm too competitive for this. So I'm going to give you 15 <laughs> seconds to come up with an answer for me. How many animals do we have in the Africa department, not counting the tilapia in the hippo pool? Oh, no disrespect to the tilapia. That's not fair. I'm not in here anymore. <laughs> Alright, 15 seconds starts now. <laughs> one you gave me a timer I got an extra number. Five seconds in. Oh, shut up. I'm only trying to count and I shouldn't try. Ten seconds in. Thirty-six. Time. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven, Jenna, Amanda? Thirty-six. Thirty-six, you're both low. Oh. It's forty-six. Uh, Is it really? 
46 total. Yeah. I was trying to do fast numbers and it just wasn't happening. 46 total. Eight giraffe, three hippos, six meerkats. Or I'm sorry, five giraffe, eight. I'm off here. Five, <laughs> five giraffe, eight wild dogs, three hippos, six meerkats, two lions. I yeah, and then oh, we got 22 animals out in the savannah as well. I knew we were so. at 20-something in savannah, but I See, didn't. I didn't realize we had that many in the savannah, but I used to say we have like 60 animals, so I guess really low. I'm yeah, very 46. embarrassed. <laughs> I was closer. You had 15 seconds and you didn't come up with it? What's wrong? It actually gave me more pressure once I started. I should have just guessed the number instead of counting. <laughs> All right, coming up next. Lot. What is our, I know, a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. It's fun. It makes it fun here. It makes it fun. What is our oldest animal and what is our youngest animal? In the department. Does the tilapia count for this? No, tilapia, <laughs> no disrespect to the tilapia, but no, they, they do not count. Oldest and youngest. I'm going for oldest right now, but... <sighs> I mean, the painted dogs are the... Nope. Mm. Fen and... Ah! Mm. Ah! Mm -hmm. Fen and Theo are the, the dogs! Theo. Is the youngest? Theo are the dogs. Theo are the dogs. I, Theo. Jenna? Amanda says Theo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm saying the dogs. It's Theo. Dang it! it is I'm Theo. so scared. <laughs> okay, now He's oldest? One year and ten months right now. He was born November 23rd of ni or 2019. I almost mm -hmm. said 1919. The, the were... dogs were in uh, May that year. Uh, they got here in May of 2019. Yeah. Okay. Dang it. Yeah. I was thinking. Okay. What about the oldest? Oh, time out. I don't know Tucker's age. That's not fair. He's 18. He's not the oldest. No, he's not. Um. This is a tricky one. I think it's a tricky one. None of them. None of them. <laughs> Amanda's going through the animals in her I mind am. right now. <laughs> I think it's Icky or BB. I was just going to say somebody in Savannah or BB. Or Kajani. I don't know how old he is. No, I'm going BB. BB for Amanda? I'm saying... Uh, who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting somebody. Not the lions. Not the giraffe. Not the dogs. Not the meerkats. It's gotta be Savannah. Uh, BB. BB is close. She's <sighs> almost the oldest. Our oldest is actually Nino. El Nino or Rupal's Vulture. Yeah, who, Amanda, we'll give you a pass because you weren't here when Nino came. No. Nino's 24. Ooh. BB's 22. You, I've never been more <laughs> mad during a quiz. I've never done worse. Than Jenna's fuming at me right now. During, and I should, this should be the... I should be the best at this quiz out of all of them. No, honestly, no, I, I can't remember my own birthday. I'll so say, I'm going to give myself that. As a zookeeper, wow, that's one of I the things that birthday. I found the most challenging is like... Ages. People will always ask you ages, and it's like, you learn them when you get to the department, and then guess what? You've been in the department for four years, right. and it's all different right. now. Like, <laughs> how many birthdays have exactly. they had? And like you mentioned, how many animals do we, we have? we got 46 animals. I mean, I it's, can't remember all their birthdays. It's hard to keep up with all the birthdays, all the ages. It's tough. I still get the elephant's birthdays wrong, okay, but, if that helps. Yeah, and you have four. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but BB's 22, El Nino, are one of our Rupal's vultures in the savannah. All you listeners out there, if you're ever interested in Nino, he's one of the gray-headed vultures. He's got a leg band on his right leg. 
very handsome. Is he's adorable. Seventeen. Icky seventeen. Okay. Yes. I was I was afraid yes. it was going to be Mike for some reason, like an. Un- mm. You don't live that long. I didn't no. think so, but I was like, watch it just be this oddball animal. <laughs> I wasn't sure of. All right. Our department is very well known for our love of donuts. everyone in this department has been known to take down a half dozen donuts here or there (laughs) so the record for the most donuts eaten in six minutes at a professional eating contest that's a long time it is by Joey Chestnut he's a professional eater they're for context he ate these they're like the little miniature powdered donuts from Hostess so not full size donuts we're talking about these miniature donuts oh my god how many donuts did Joey Chestnut eat in six minutes? That's a lot of minutes. Yeah. Oh. This is the mini powder donuts. I mean, let's say one per second. A second? Yeah. He's got to breathe. <laughs> so that's 60 times six is my guess. Whatever that math that's is, th- Mark. Oh, wow. 60 times six, <laughs> th- 360. Yeah. That is not my guess. I'm going to say 210. You guys are both, it's right in the middle of you guys. You're pretty close. It's 257. Oh, man. The man ate 257 mini donuts in six minutes. The same guy that is famous for the Nathan's Hot Dog Mm -hmm. Eating Contest. Yeah. He ate about 16,000 calories in six minutes. And he probably lost it in three days. I'm so disappointed in this quiz. It's so hard. Last one. Our department likes to kind of have fun with each other. Every time we do something embarrassing or stupid, we'll take a photo of each other and we'll hang up our photo on a wall of shame. We got this giant wall of shame. Where is he going with this? I don't know. We got a giant wall of shame full of embarrassing and stupid moments from us, our animals too. We hang our animals up on the wall of shame. Who in the department has the most appearances on the wall the of shame. Amanda, probably <laughs> not. She's not even in the department anymore. I started the wall of shame. I should be on it. Or Mark. <sighs> See, I haven't looked at it lately. I don't know. You're up. Mm. <laughs> You've got some good ones up there. I have some good ones, but I have less, I <laughs> think. True. Or Wendy. Ooh, Ooh, Wendy's really good. Wendy's up there a few times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with me because Teresa likes to make fun of me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Mark likes to pose in silly poses. Well, that's true, too. <laughs> Guilty as charged. I've done that before, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm, maybe me. I'm saying Mark. It's Amanda. Yes. Uh, Amanda's got the record. How did I just get gut. zero out of five? should have stuck with your gut. She doesn't even belong here. She doesn't even go here anymore. <laughs> I'm going to take all those down. <laughs> Please don't. I love them. Not the pictures of myself, oh, for man. the record. I love the wall of shame in general. The wall of Mark, shame is always fun. Now I need to go on the wall of shame. <laughs> Can we put like a big loser picture Jenna, got, up there for Jenna? Jenna, you've got eight appearances on the wall of shame. How many do I have? Amanda's got ten. Oh. I didn't know I had I've got seven. I didn't even know I had you ten up there. I've got seven. I need to go take a look. I know. After this. Oh my gosh. That was the worst quiz in the whole world. I'm going to tell Pat to edit this out. <laughs> nope. I think it needs to go down in the record books. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was actually really fun. Yes. And, uh, and I had yeah. a general idea of what I was answering. <laughs> <laughs> Not what I was expecting. No. Well, Jenna, do we have anything else for Amanda while we've got her on the show? Yeah. Okay. So I want to know, what can I do? I cannot have a farm myself. What can I do, though? Um, I would say 
that you can buy from a responsible farmer. Um, the best advice I have for people that want to do something is know your farmer. Um, if you think about it, like lots of farmers, small farmers, are very transparent about what they do. Um, you can learn their practices. You can follow them on Instagram or Facebook. You can get to know your people. Maybe you don't know them on a very personal level, but if you know your farmer and you agree with their practices, that would be like what I would say you could do. Um, and whatever you find important to be for you and whatever is best for the environment or the animals, whichever route you want to go. Um, yeah. If you know your farmer, you kind of, do you guys have social media for your farms? I do. I, I personally do not have social media, but the family farm the family, does, yes. Okay, family well tell us how, yes. how people can follow your farms, because those are two that I think people should should look into, if they're, uh, especially in the Cincinnati area. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok. I'll have, however, I haven't done a whole lot on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very so good old. at this. How I'm, young of you? I was about to say, like, I I don't even know what TikTok is. <laughs> Shut up, Mark. I'm all in here. Um, on Facebook, I am Good Shepherd Farm. Um, I, listen, I keep trying to add a location to my Facebook page and it won't let me. Anyway, uh, Good Shepherd Farm. Um, and then on Instagram, my handle is GS Farm Indiana. Yeah, for my family farm, it's Tuas Poultry Farm, T-E-W-E-S, Tuas Poultry Farm. On, uh, they have a website, tuaspoultry.com. Also, Thanksgiving's Instagram, coming up. Thanksgiving's oh, yeah. coming up. Big time of year for the farm. Yeah. All of our turkeys. If you want to get them from a yes. responsible, sustainable place, yes. definitely check it out. Check mm -hmm. it out. We got a lot of birds. I'm doing it this year. Do I've it. never made a turkey. I'm going to come buy one from you. Come get one. Right. We're also on Facebook and I believe on Instagram. But I'm not, I'm not on Instagram, so I don't know 100% if they're on Instagram. But I think they're on Instagram. Come on, Mark. you got to support me. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not failing my family at all. <laughs> no, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, and I think it is really cool that you can see these days, like, what's really going on. And the more transparent a farmer is, it probably tells you a lot about, you know, how they're practicing and how everything they're doing, raising animals, or how they're treating the soil or the earth. Um, you can see that through social media. Like I said, yeah. there's not always great things about social media. There are some negatives, but you can also do a lot of good. And that's pretty easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, as far as getting to know farmers by looking them up on Instagram or Facebook. Mm -hmm. um, are there any specific that you would like to name that, like, other than the two of yours that people could maybe look into for beef or, or pigs at this point? Sure. Um, Whispering Willows Farm is actually owned by Christy, uh, who also is so an elephant cool. keeper. So cool, yes, we should talk to her too. Yeah, it's kind of neat to work with somebody that has the exact same mindset, although I think we drive our coworkers nuts some days when we talk <laughs> about farming. Um, so she's Whispering Willows Farm, um, and she's up in Blanchester, Ohio. Flourish and Rome is on the east side of town. They do beef. Um, there's also one in Russellville, Ohio, called Ayers Valley Farm. Uh, they're very into it. They both had big-time city jobs and kind of quit and said, nope, this is what we're doing. They're a lot of fun to follow. Um, Aurora Blue Farm does sheep and does lamb meat, um, and she is up in Wilmington, Ohio as well. So those are some of the, the local ones, yeah. Awesome. awesome. I love it. Mm -hmm. Amanda. It's been so fun having you back it in the department. It has been fun. Having you join us for the show. Thank Can't you so much. Thank you so much. I know. I'm totally going to go look because I didn't even realize I had 10. That's bad. <sighs> well, thanks for coming on and teaching me a lot. Um, I 
I forgot like how much Mark might also know about this and uh, we could have a whole other conversation about that. But um, I think it's really cool what you're doing and we are proud of you. Oh, well, thank you very much. And thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah. Definitely. Thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for tuning in for another episode. Until next time.